Coming up, a gripping police procedural set at a British boarding school. A story about being the heir to a villain's empire. Plus, our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. I'm going backlist today. Are you? I am. What do you got? It's called The Murders at Fleet House by Lucinda Riley. The book opens with a foreword. It's a letter written by the author's son that explains his mom died in 2021. And this book came out the following year. Okay. Lucinda Riley is best known and beloved for her books in the Seven Sisters series. This is the only crime novel she ever wrote. And I'm sad that we won't be getting more from her because it's a corker. Oh. The action takes place in Norfolk. That's a county in the southeast of England, about a three-hour drive from London. Okay. It's got picturesque seaside towns, windswept beaches, chocolate box villages, and if this book is to be believed, plenty of buried secrets. (laughs) If there's anything we've learned from media, it's that there's nothing in the British countryside but buried secrets. (laughs) The story kicks off when a student at a private boarding school dies. His name is Charlie. And he lived his short life as a cocky, pompous, unlikable bully. Hmm. No one seems really sorry that he's gone. Okay. The school hopes desperately that his death was an accident. But after the autopsy, it's clear he was murdered. And in a very clever way, which I will not spoil here. Was this murder like one of those in Midsummer Murders where he gets (laughs) trapped under a falling statue or something like that? (laughs) A giant wheel of cheese? Yeah. No. I said clever. (laughs) (laughs) The detective on the case is Detective Inspector Jasmine Hunter. People call her Jazz. She's lured out of a self-induced retirement slash exile to investigate. She's had some personal drama and decided to just drop out of her life. But they pull her back in. She's very capable and intuitive, and I liked her right away. She's a great character. As she questions the school staff and students, she's met with the stonewalling, which you'd probably expect, revelation of some secrets, and a few people who are suspiciously cooperative. Hmm. Then another student goes missing, and there's another death. And while Jazz is dealing with all of that, there's a blizzard and another disappearance, plus a family crisis. Wow. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And it's all handled very deftly. This is a really compelling police procedural that absolutely skewers the elitist school administration and the privilege of its wealthy parents. The only likable characters are Jazz and her sidekick, and really that's how it should be. I want my British boarding school murder mysteries populated with posh, entitled suspects and spoiled teenagers. Sure. This book delivered. It's The Murders at Fleet House by Lucinda Riley. And if you wanted to pair it with another boarding school crime, I also love very deeply, Well-Schooled in Murder by Elizabeth George. That one is set at an equally stuffy school in Sussex. John Scalzi is a science fiction author. I've read a few of his books. The thing I like about his work is that it tends to be character first. He writes about regular people getting into the extraordinary circumstances that science fiction allows. So, for instance, in his first book, he took a 75-year-old retired advertising copywriter put him into a scientifically modified body, the body of his youth and then some, and threw him into a far distant galactic conflict. Jeez. Yeah. And you discover, along with the old man, how the experience would be extraordinary and bizarre and sometimes funny. 
That book is called Old Man's War. It was nominated for Hugo and became the first in a six-book series. I read about half of that series, and I really enjoyed them, and I don't know why I haven't read the second half. (laughs) John Scalzi's latest is just out. It's called Starter Villain. And again, we start with a guy you might know. His name is Charlie. Charlie's a down-on-his-luck reporter who's now working as a substitute reporter in the Midwest. He wants to get a loan to buy his local bar. That seems unlikely. And then he finds out that his uncle has died. And his uncle has left him some money, a a lot of money, really, uh, along with some problems. Because his uncle was a villain. A James Bond level villain. He has a lair in a volcano. No, he doesn't. And talking dolphins and satellite lasers. Yep, yep. And many, many enemies, many colorful enemies. And now that whole world is now Charlie's. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie has now found himself in the middle of Evil Incorporated. This book could reasonably be called a romp. It's lighthearted and has some great dialogue and action bits and a few things to say about the hyper wealthy. If you're looking for a fun over the top read, take a look. This is Starter Villain by John Scalzi. There is also an audiobook. It is narrated by professional geek Will Wheaton. Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah. And now our distraction of the week. I toss around the term gothic a lot on our show. And books with gothic elements are among my favorite things to read. Yeah. But what is gothic exactly? People have opinions. I have uninformed opinions about what gothic is. Cool. We'll talk about them. Yeah. So today, in honor of Halloween being just a few days away, I thought we could delve into the shadowy corners of gothic literature. The first thing to know is that gothic isn't a genre. It's an aesthetic that can be applied to just about any story in any genre. Yeah, so there's gothic romance and gothic horror and gothic sci-fi and gothic literature. Gothic is icing on the genre cake. Delicious buttercream with a couple of drops of food coloring in it so it's black. (laughs) There's a fair amount of debate in the literary world and on YouTube and Bookstagram about the definitive elements that make something gothic. Okay. So I'm going to share what I think. All right. A work doesn't need to have all of these to be gothic, but to me, the first three are very important. Okay. The most obvious, and my personal favorite, is the castle. There must be a strong sense of place, preferably in some kind of building that's so vividly described and central to the plot, it becomes a character in its own right. Okay. So not necessarily a castle. Not necessarily a castle. I'm using that term loosely here. Right. It can be an English manor house, a big apartment building. Think of the apartment building in Rosemary's Baby. Right. A theater, a ship at sea. All of these can stand in for a castle in defining the Gothic. Okay. And you could probably think of more examples. Sure. In classics like Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, you've got manor houses that hold dreadful secrets. And that drives the action. In Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, the setting is a creaky old boarding school on a sea cliff. And The Historian by Elizabeth Kostova is set in dusty archives and mountaintop abbeys across Europe. So in the movie Alien, where Sigourney Weaver is hunting down the xenomorph, the spaceship, creaky, dark, greasy spaceship counts as a castle. Exactly. Okay. Related in my mind 
to this foreboding, let's call it edifice, is a sense of isolation or confinement. So a house party in the country is fun until everyone realizes they can't leave. Then it's terrifying. Right. Maybe you're prevented from leaving because a villain is holding you captive. Maybe there's a murder and the investigating detective requires everyone to stay put. Maybe there's an end-of-the-world natural event like a hurricane or a snowstorm. Maybe the action takes place on an island. Whatever the reason, the characters are cut off from the rest of the world. A great example of this in a modern Gothic novel is The Guest List by Lucy Foley that's set at a wedding on an Irish island that nobody can get off of. There's also Bellwether Rhapsody by Kate Reculia that's set in a hotel that's isolated by a blizzard and may or may not be haunted by a ghost bride. Or you could be trapped in the spaceship with the alien far from the nearest station. I feel like you have a real attachment to this alien. (laughs) I'm just going with it now. Yeah. So gothic stories are not, by definition, horror stories. But there should be an element of the mysterious or supernatural. Omens, curses, prescient dreams, hauntings, all of these things should be part of the plot. But the hauntings can be caused by actual supernatural ghosts or by things from the past. Doesn't necessarily have to be preternatural. Right. Could be feelings that are haunting you. Are we ever truly haunted by anything other than our own minds? Right. Yeah. Unexplained goings-on can eventually be revealed to have completely mundane causes. The wind is rattling the shutter. But the bumps in the night need to be mysterious and unsettling at the start. In the beginning, we don't know what's going on. Okay. And it's creepy. (laughs) All right. So using those markers, Scooby-Doo is gothic. 100%. The team is in a big, empty setting. They can't get away. There's a limited cast and something they don't understand is happening. Yes. It's just not very sophisticated gothic. It is sort of the lowest common denominator gothic. I feel like you're maybe criticizing Scooby-Doo and I'm having to like take a couple deep breaths over here. (laughs) I feel feel like the creators of Scooby-Doo were like, here are the boxes we need to check. We need to get through all of this in 20 minutes and we need to make it palatable for children. But it was gothic. Okay. All right. It occurs to me that by this definition, Hamlet and Macbeth are also gothic. Yeah. I mean, Hamlet definitely, right? He's trapped in that castle or seems to be one The characters of Macbeth are driven by omens and Prussian visions and witches and weather. Yeah. And it gets increasingly claustrophobic toward the end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm adding them to my gothic list. Okay. <laughs> Another element that covers the proceedings is a sense of the sublime. And for me, Hamlet (laughs) falls in here very strongly. Yeah, sure, yeah. The sublime is beauty and emotions that are so intense, they cross over into the realm of the terrible. They are all-consuming. I often think of that as melodrama, which has a slightly different connotation. But whichever way you go with it, what's important is the feelings are big. And they make the characters do things that range from not in their best interest to completely irrational. See, this is where I'm thinking the Scooby-Doo falls apart. (laughs) Scooby-Doo does not have the sublime, you are correct. (laughs) Unless you're considering Shaggy and Scooby-Doo stopping to make a sandwich in the middle of the monster hunt (laughs) as sublime, which is a stretch, I think. Let's give a good example (laughs) of the sublime. 
There's Kathy's declarations about Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights, where she says, whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. And then she declares, I am Heathcliff. This is over the top stuff. Yeah. Dorian Gray. Pretty much everything Dorian says and does in the picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah. And then finally, the last element for me is the role of nature. The original Gothic novels of the 1800s grew out of the Romantic movement. Romanticism was a celebration of the common man with a predilection for isolation and melancholy. Think emo boys. Yep. And nature. Nature was a huge part of this. A Gothic atmosphere can be quickly established with things like dense fog, driving rain, howling wind, gray skies. Yeah. Again, opening of Scooby-Doo. You've got the castle, (laughs) you've got the lightning storm, you've got the bats flying past. Exactly. Yeah. Those natural elements do two things. They drive the action and they symbolize the internal storminess of the characters. So, for example, in Jane Eyre, there's that scene where lightning splits an old tree right after Rochester and Jane have kissed. Yeah. That represents Jane's impending separation from her beloved Rochester. Yeah. But the weather doesn't have to be gloomy to be intimidating. I've read a few books that I think of as sunny gothic, like Black Amber by Phyllis A. Whitney. That one is set in Istanbul. And This Rough Magic by Mary Stewart, set in Greece. Both of those are drenched with sunshine and super gothic. It's really fun. You can feel the heat like bearing down on you. Fantastic kind of flipping of the usual gothic elements. Yeah. So now you know when I say this book is gothic, what I'm talking about. There's some kind of meaningful building. Right. There's a sense of isolation. I think those two things are tied together, right? There's a sense of seclusion more yes. than anything. Like a forest could stand in for the castle 100%. if it was properly set up. Yes. There's some kind of mysterious circumstances that may or may not be supernatural. There are intense emotions and there's nature that forces action and represents the internal world of the characters. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I was inspired to talk about this today by a YouTube channel I just discovered. It's called Tristan and the Classics. It's hosted by a really sweet British gentleman who loves the classics and wants you to love them too. He's made dozens of videos. Here are a few examples. How to Be Well Read, a list of the best Regency period books that are not Jane Austen, How to Build Your Own Classic Library, and he has a video relevant to what we discussed today. He calls it a teach-yourself course where he recommends seven classic Gothic novels that guide you through the best of Gothic literature from the 1700s to the 20th century. So if you read them in the order he prescribes, you kind of get an overview of all these elements and how they change through time. Oh, that's cool. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for the show notes because I'm including the link to Tristan and the Classics and an epic list of all of the gothic novels I've recommended on Strong Sense of Place. There are 43. Get excited. (laughs) Plus, there'll be more info about the other books Dave and I recommended today. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.